0: Hey everyone, it's Mike Jordan-Lasky. I'm here for just a second to kick off a special three-episode series here at AMDG we're calling The Jesuit Mission in Jordan. My insanely talented colleague Eric Clayton, who you've heard as a guest host here on the show, traveled to Amman, Jordan earlier this year, which is a city that's just about 50 miles from Jerusalem. He spent time there with the community of Jesuits that's ministering there and gathered up some incredible stories, which we're thrilled to share with you here on the podcast over the next three weeks. You can also see videos and read a written piece from Eric's trip at jesuits.org Jordan. Here's Eric's first episode, which is about the Jesuits' ministry to refugees in Amman.
1: We left... Uh Somalia in 2002.
2: I was the victim of the war in Darfur. It
1: fled to UAE, we used, we used to live there uh, almost nine years. Then we came to Jordan in 2011.
2: South Sudan at the time was a new country. And I went there, I spent uh, about three years and a half in South Sudan. I started my own business from zero.
1: We can't go back to Somalia because uh, the condition is still the same. We, we have an uh, unstable uh, situation and difficult. We have, uh, um, there is sometimes uh, exploding happening. Yes, mm. so we can't go back.
2: They burned the area and everything I lost. And then I had to leave South Sudan. In Sudan, by still the same time, and I came to Jordan.
3: Welcome to AMDG. I'm Eric Clayton. Ladies and gentlemen, I was delayed a full day going to Jordan, stuck in the Toronto and later Frankfurt airports with nothing but my camera equipment, an extra shirt, and of course a Star Wars novel. And I was grumpy. A delay out of Baltimore meant my connection in Toronto was too tight and my bag wouldn't make it. They refused to let me on the flight. Something about security and how you can't travel without your bag Never mind the fact that somehow I eventually arrived in Amman while my bag remained in Toronto. But Anyway, I did what anyone would do, right? Argued my way into a free hotel and some free food. And Then I sat around the Toronto airport long enough to attract the attention of a German man who noticed what I was reading, Star Wars, remember, and decided that was permission enough to show me his Star Wars tattoo. And eventually, I found myself with about an eight-hour layover in Frankfurt. I'd never been to Germany, so I decided to wander around. And that's when the great specter of my privilege really slapped me in the face. Here I was, traveling to Amman, Jordan, to spend time with the refugee community, and I was feeling sorry for myself that my bags were delayed. I was casually coming and going in and out of Canada and Germany with nothing but a wave of my passport and a bit of irritation at the length of the customs line. This episode of AMDG is about those members of our human family who don't share such privilege, whose passports count for very little, if anything at all. It's about resilience, perseverance, and hospitality. And ultimately, for me, it's about frustration because it doesn't have to be this way. The Jesuits in Jordan didn't start out ministering to refugees. They were originally sent to meet the pastoral and sacramental needs of the growing English-speaking Catholic community. But as we're all called to do, the Jesuits read the science of the times and responded.
4: Now, Jordan is a particular place because it's a, as a modern country, it emerged in 1946. Uh, and then uh, very quickly after that, um the uh, expulsion of Palestinians from uh, modern Israel uh, constituted a a population of refugees here, Palestinian.
3: That's Father Michael Linden, the Jesuit superior of Jordan and Iraq. He's wrapping up his nine-year tenure in Jordan. Why, I wanted to know, is Jordan so hospitable, so welcoming to strangers? Certainly, it's not the norm in that part of the world or anywhere.
4: But it seems that Jordan was the the safe place, as Jordan has a reputation of being a safe place, just on the edge of the Roman Empire, just on the edge of uh, uh, the Jewish influence, and just uh, north of uh, an aggressive Nabataean influence that was taking over Roman towns and villages. The original people here would be what we call Bedouin. Mm -hmm. These are uh, Nomadic people, like uh, the ancient uh, Navajo people in the United States or right. some of the Apaches. They were nomadic people who moved from place to place, just like you can imagine in some parts of the Old Testament, okay? Mm. And um, and they were well adapted ecologically to the land. They had their particular cultures uh, of, uh, which would be Bedouin and it's the, if you will, the bedrock Arab culture that is imagined by Westerners Uh, and um, they had the institutions of you know cattle trading and moving from place to place they had hospitality as a feature and uh, and so they were always in these marginal places that seemed to have no geopolitical interest in any time and no essential resource that would be exploited by uh, others or desired by others. It's interesting to think that um, well, one,
3: one of the contributing factors to Jordan being safe, a safe place, and it's probably a vast generalization of a term, but um, is a lack of resource. And I feel like in the American psyche, at least, you know, it, the Middle East is just, you know, a place to go and, and, and ravage for resources, which is one of the contributing factors to yeah. probably our gross misunderstanding of the, of the region. So that's an interesting, yeah. I think to, to think well,
4: the, the resource that Jordanians seem to have, pre- contemporary Jordanians, and as well as the people who lived here from the past, is, is that they have a capacity to absorb, to welcome, and they can turn it to their financial advantage.
3: Before arriving in Jordan, I didn't really realize how central the refugee community was to the work of the Jesuit Center. Chalk it up to lazy research, but from what I could tell, it seemed to me that ministering to refugees was one of many things the Jesuits did. But once I got there, once I walked around the neighborhood, it became quite clear that working with refugees is integral to the work of the Jesuits in Jordan. So affordable housing is a jesuit Jesuit Center program. program. Okay. Okay. But the population...
0: They're refugees.
3: They're Take the neighborhood males. for instance. The Jesuit Center seemed to be on a street like any other, near the top of one so, of Amman's famed and many hills.
0: People who live here, they're all males in the Jesuit Center, affordable housing. Um, Father Rob McChesney took me on a tour the through the neighborhood. Programs. And most of them are involved in JRS
3: programs. But once so, I started walking around, it became clear that the center was quite literally at the center of the refugee community. Nearly every building we passed had some sort of connection to the refugee work, affordable housing, educational buildings, programs managed by Jesuit Refugee Service, JRS. And more than once, I passed my new friends on the street or in the halls of the center, Ahmed and Toja, Solo and Yasmin. The lives of these refugees, like the work of the Jesuits, was interwoven into the fabric of Jordanian society.
0: To me, it's like an old immigrant parish. You need a sports program? We have it. You need arts, it's like an old Jesuit high school. Right. It's got it all. So we're capturing, I think, in a rather creative way in an Arab Muslim country, the Ignatian vision, the Ignatian charism charism of formation.
3: Thursday night of my itinerary at the Jesuit Center included a vague item entitled Success Stories. I inquired as to what this might entail. You'll you'll get a chance to sit down and talk with some refugees, hear about their lives and how the Jesuit Center has impacted them. Sounds great, I thought. Uh, What are we talking about? Four or five refugees? Probably 50 was the reply. I quickly did the math on how long 50 individual interviews would take, how many backup batteries I had for my camera. 50, I asked. Well, we invited everyone. But will 50 really show up? I shrugged. As the night approached, I was getting nervous. If 50 folks showed up, many traveling over great distances, up to an hour, maybe more, what would I do? Everyone had a story, no doubt, a powerful story of resilience and determination. How could I do them all justice? It was raining that Thursday. We probably won't have that many after all, was the general consensus. Phew, I thought, at about 5 p.m., I wandered upstairs to the classroom where we would be meeting. There were a handful of folks, 10, 12. The rain really kept them back, I thought. And just as well, I wasn't sure I could make it worth it for all these people. I felt guilty. But then as the minutes ticked by, more and more people poured into the room. Friends sat together, chatting. People shook hands. Some sat quietly, patiently. It was amazing to witness. This felt more like a college lecture hall than a refugee center. And everyone seemed content to be there. Good evening, everyone. Can you understand my, Me okay? I talk a little fast. So if I talk too fast, just raise your hand and say, slow down, and i will be happy to do so. But I really appreciate you guys all coming out tonight. I, um, I know it's a, it's a hike for some of you to, to come from... I learned many things that night. First of all, the women and men assembled before me were proud to share their stories. The few I talked to at length wanted the world to know what they'd experienced. And these folks were proud to be part of the Jesuit Center, grateful for all they'd experienced and got there. It was amazing to see this room full of people from Sudan, Iraq, Somalia, Yemen and more, come together, emphasizing again and again that they were one family, one nation, when they were at the Jesuit Center. and that this place was different than what they experienced beyond those walls. OK. Who are other countries? Somalia. How many people from Somalia? Two. OK. All right. Two. Jordan. All right. How many Jordanians? Wonderful, wonderful. There were Jordanians there too. The Jesuit Center encourages the local Jordanian community to participate in its classes. This has the added benefit of further connecting the refugees with their host community, giving a voice to Jordan itself, a place and culture that few of these refugees knew anything about prior to arriving. What else? Rights. Rights?
4: Rights, yeah. I mean, like healthcare, education, opportunities, equality. And uh, here for us as refugees, but it is the most common things here. Jordan
3: is hospitable, yes, yes, but that doesn't mean it's all easy for the refugees. They're safe, they have food, but they have little to no opportunities. They can't work, at least not officially, and they're stuck here. So it's even more important that a culture of encounter is fostered.
4: Life is not just only eating and sleeping. something. There are many things It's very important. So. I was again reminded
3: of Pope Francis' apostolic exhortation, Christus Vivit. Francis writes, the stories of migrants are also stories of encounter between individuals and between cultures. For the communities and societies to which they come, migrants bring an opportunity for enrichment and the integral human development of all. Initiatives of welcome involving the church have an important role from this perspective. They can bring new life to the communities capable of undertaking them. I keep coming back to this idea of integral human development. We shouldn't settle for the bare minimum, but rather we should seek the magis, the more, a human being fully alive and able to flourish. And from I came here until now, like I
5: I, I see myself very de- uh, and now, like I'm very developed. Like now I become speak uh, English like better than in the past. And I learned uh, many
3: things from here. So how does this community come together? What holds it together? Nearly all of the refugees I spoke with pointed to English classes. To Dudu, who you'll hear from in a moment. He's an impressive guy, much beloved by the community. A Sudanese refugee himself who was forced to flee his home and leave everything behind, not once, but twice. And now he's the one who's changing lives at the Jesuit Center, helping folks learn and improve their English.
2: Within the English language, my aim is to let the different cultures come together, learn the values for the Jesuit Center, and also try to learn when they go in other country, they have to learn how to interact with different community who come from different
0: backgrounds. It was clear that uh, English was a medium, was an avenue to, to formation, what we would call Ignatian formation, the formation of the whole person. Uh, so leadership skills, virtue, character formation, interreligious dialogue, all of this goes on. Justice, uh, all of this goes on in the classroom through the medium of an English Learning English. The language is the
2: role, the key thing, because bringing people to just sit would not benefit them, but you bring the material in English that they can learn and they can change something that evoked each other of us and then we become like one family.
0: So I picked topics in in consultation with Dudu. that are of interest to the refugees where they will be motivated. Refugees and Jordanians, because it's important that we have Jordanians in the English conversation intermediate class, because we want to promote reconciliation uh, among all of the countries. But we choose topics which motivate them, which are of interest, so they will do a little homework. But then the discussion will focus heavily on um, character formation.
2: a good Not
3: We often hear this idea of being a voice for the voiceless, and of course, that assumes right that people don't have a voice; people can't speak. It's frustrating to me to hear, and it really bore out uh, my time in Jordan because it became increasingly, increasingly clear that here, people that are very much on the periphery, very much marginalized, have a very strong voice. And I was amazed that many of these folks had just learned English. The voice they were using to communicate with me was in many ways uh, a new one. We call ourselves a one big community, the Jewish center
6: community. These, you know, our diversity you know, like always help us to share our stories and to
3: help one another,
6: especially with the language.
3: I first met Ahmed at the Starbucks in the Amman airport. He'd come with Father Rob to pick me up for my much delayed flight. And right out of the gate, he opened up, talking the whole way back to the Jesuit Center about his experiences in Jordan. And they were many. In fact, if it wasn't for Ahmed, I think we might have gotten lost on the streets of Amman that night. So it's funny to think that there was a time when Ahmed had a hard time sharing his story. Here he is in front of my camera with these beautiful reflections on storytelling, about how hard it is at first to share your story as a refugee.
6: Most of us, we lost our family members there, but this our new family, you know. We feel like brothers and sisters. You know. We don't used to share our stories, but you know, like here's fathers, they help us out, you know, like tell
3: our stories. Now, you just know, like he did with me, been, Ahmed know, is helping than new than folks that are coming to the community each day to find their voice and oh, yeah, find their story. Three years,
6: almost, let's say, four years. So I'm, you know, like telling my story, sharing my story to others who are arriving in Jordan.
5: Uh, first of all, I'm from Sudan, from Darfur. Uh, I'm here as a refugee. Uh, I'm called Abdul Bashir, Adam Ismail. But uh, I'm, I had another name, D-Boy. Yeah. So should I say something about my music? Uh,
3: yeah. Do you want to? Can you sing a song? You can sing. uh yeah, I can sing. Um, but if, if we're gonna
5: sing, let me just pause. All right. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Are you ready? Mhm. I have a song. To talk about refugee. You never took a movement to revise your mistake. You never took a movement to understand our misery. You never...
3: As I go back through D Boy's words, I'm struck by how true his worry feels to me. We do live in a time when entire communities get uprooted by war and violence and the rest of the world forgets or simply ignores the truth. We live in a time where the lived experience of one generation to the next is so different that hard lessons learned don't get passed down or they get forgotten, dooming us to repeat our mistakes. Can you tell me a little bit about what is it like to, um, to, to kind of turn your your life into music? Let's a little closer. You see, uh, my music is all
5: about my issues, something that happened to me.
3: Does it help you to make sense of what happened, or to make peace with it, or to process? So it,
5: it is like a message to let the world know that because there is some people they don't even know
3: about there was a war. I'm struck by D-boy's hope, his trust that God will provide not just a peaceful, prosperous future, but an opportunity for him to share what he's learned through his gift of music. So,
5: for me here, it's like practice I know one day the life will for me.
3: At this point, D-boy pulled up a list of songs on his phone, a whole bunch of songs that he'd saved in his gmail account uh with all sorts of lyrics and i looked over his shoulder and and they were intense the most crime again killing kidnapping burning murdering
5: you know it's too much it's strong strong music yeah yeah so that's why i'm just uh it's like practicing for me here it's like practicing because i know one day i will go somewhere and and let the world whole world hear about it
3: Now, before you hear from Mandela and Aisha, I want to paint a picture. i had heard about this young couple from nearly all of the Jesuits in the center and from a few of the refugees, including Dudu. There was this ongoing debate over where Mandela and Aisha had met. Was it in Dudu's English class or Father Rob's English class? Regardless, they'd met, they'd fallen in love, and they'd gotten married uh, barely two weeks prior to my arrival. And Father Rob had gotten us an invitation to see their new apartment. All of the Jesuits were intrigued. What would it be like? How was this new couple getting along? Were they acclimating to married life? We were instructed to report back. But it became obvious why so many people were so invested in this couple. They symbolized something that was at times hard to come by, hope. Amidst a turbulent time in their lives, in the lives of everyone in the community, it was so full of uncertainty and fear and anxiety. These two had committed to one another. They'd made their own certainty. So, on my last night in Jordan, Father Rob and I set off to find their apartment. Google Maps led us astray, but Mandela found us on a busy street just blocks away from his apartment. He's a tall guy, quiet, kind eyes. He's from Sudan. We climbed the stairs to his apartment and met Aisha, sitting on a couch watching Gulliver's Travels, the one with Jack Black in it. And she was, in many ways, Mandela's complement, eager to contribute her thoughts to the conversation, her eyes sharp and inquisitive. It was like I was visiting two old friends. They sat comfortably on the couch, showing me the one piece of art that hung on their wall, an enormous piece of abstract art that Mandela's brother had gifted them for their wedding. Mandela liked it. Aisha wasn't so sure what the fuss was about. So let's hear the story about English class. Mm-hmm. How did you guys, how did you guys meet? I heard
1: about uh, Father Robert's classes, which is, of uh, course, a gender-based pilots. Uh, and then,
0: no, before that, in Dudu glasses, I met Mandela. Ah. Yeah, in Dudu glasses,
3: where we met. So, then, Dudu was the matchmaker.
0: Yeah. So well, you were I, taking credit. I think there may be a difference of opinion on where they met. Because I think, Mandela, didn't you say you met in my class? I see.
1: We met both.
0: Man.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah Father class, I see.
0: I During uh, do Miss Mary games. With Miss Mary, with Mary yeah. Yeah, I yeah. came
1: once with. With me, yeah. Many yeah. Classes. I don't want to
0: promote division. Yeah, in yeah. Getting yeah. a yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Anyway, we just yeah. met in Jesuit Center, whatever. <laughs> 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 Jesuit Center. Center. Mm-hmm. I just, I just met a lot of friends from different religions, different nationalities, different backgrounds. I loved it. It's people are happy and they forget that they're VG and they're going to travel somewhere. It's just fun. Nice.
3: What um? What would you say? What does the community mean? you guys like what, what 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 do you like best about
2: the community there here, like sometimes as a refugee we when we come from sudan like come from far away here sometimes in many ways
3: mandela and aisha a are a microcosm community. of all i'd experienced in the refugee community at the jesuit center a blending of two very different cultures into one family a desire to contribute to society a restlessness to get on with their lives a love of learning, of self-discovery and growth, an anxious eye to the future, an appreciation for their host community mixed with a frank assessment of how difficult the life of a refugee in Jordan is, and a real love and appreciation for the Jesuits, for what the center has given them. Tell me about your wedding a little bit, because <laughs> you've you talked about this community, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and it sounds like a lot of this community came to support you guys at your wedding, exactly. right? Yeah. Yeah. How, did that, how, that, how did that make you feel? Great, people the camps. Yeah.
2: Really, people are excited. People are feeling great. Uh We're feeling happy with them. Sometimes, like in a wedding for your wedding, you don't like. You you don't like. Sometimes you don't see yourself, but you see the people. You know, like people are happy with dancing. I
1: felt happy because I felt uh, I saw that each person, person we invited, came to the wedding because there were a lot, and the hall was was a little bit smaller. But people were happy. They were standing and dancing, and I, I asked a lot of people how was the wedding, and they said, "Oh, it was fun. It was fantastic. I loved it."
3: So, mm-hmm. as you guys are beginning your married life together, what what are you looking forward to? What's <clears throat> what what are you excited about?
2: Well, it's about my future life. He, <clears throat> when I came from Sudan, I came to Jordan and I applied to to. The
1: to
3: most heartbreaking stand. part to me was their worry over children. They want to have them. They want to start to grow their own small family. And yet,
1: I mean, life in Jordan is difficult. It's very difficult. Um but we 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 challenged ourselves. We married. A bit there will be more responsibilities, more pressure on us, but it's okay. For ex- first like first thing we 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 think of is like having having children. It is it's difficult. Cuz so we can't offer it. We can't offer rent for Kids. So then kids, then it's very difficult.
3: We finished our conversation and were about to leave when the two of them sprung from their chairs. The tea, they said, and desserts. And so with the recorder turned off, Father Rob, Aisha, Mandela, and I sat in their living room in their new apartment enjoying some homemade cinnamon desserts, sipping tea and watching a really weird Jackie Chan movie. And then we got up, we said our thanks and farewells, and I went to the airport, where it was very easy for me to get on a flight and fly home.
6: You know, like, I could say there is life, there is hope. You know, like, uh, I've been, like, more than 17
3: years. Ahmed, again, 17 years is the average amount of time a refugee will spend displaced. And that doesn't account for all the rebuilding that will have to take place once the individual is settled again, rebuilding internally, spiritually, as well as externally, professionally, physically, buildings, homes. And it doesn't account for the great loss to our world of a young mind that could be actively contributing now. We are lucky. And also we lost our families, we lost
6: our country, but we are lucky. We are still alive and studying and happy. we having hope one day we will build our
3: communities. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Mike Jordan Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at JesuitNews. Instagram at we Are the Jesuits, and Facebook via facebook.com backslash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at Jesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, Go and set the world on fire.